Sir Robert Pruitt. What are your thoughts on Bigfoot? On Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. That's how y'all started that. Uh, yes, we want to know your, your thoughts on, on Bigfoot. Please tell me. You know, <laughs> I don't have, like... Do you think he exists? Do you think he exists? Are they exist? Big feet. Big the big foots. foots. As a person who watches a lot of science fiction, yes. reads a lot of comics, mm-hmm. I've never thought about Bigfoot. That's fair. It's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Does Bigfoot exist? The Bigfoot that we kind of think about, no, does not exist. Despite the amazing definition, uh-huh. origin story, who, who gave that? Jamal, Jamal Peterman. Jamal, yes. Which is amazing. I would not be surprised if we have not discovered every single creature out in the world. But something that size mm-hmm. and like you know, that close to civilization seems unlikely. Yeah. Mm. Unless um, they can, in fact, teleport. Teleport, like you said. That's just a different, you know. Very agile, he said. Yeah. But. Teleportation. That's a lot of matter to like take apart, put back together. In a different place. With no technology. Yeah. With what, no technology. What would be... Star Trek. What's the power driving that kind of teleportation? These are, these are questions for Vibranium. Because yes. this is his origin story. Because yeah. then you're talking about, is that magic? Because I don't know the physics of... Move. Maybe like Molecular. quantum physics? Mm. Entanglement? Like particles mm. being connected over vast distances? Mm-hmm. But... Is that string theory? You know. Maybe that's something to do. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot to kind of try to piece together. Yeah. The fact that y'all just broke it down like that made me think even <laughs> deeper about it. Like, maybe they may have some technology that breaks like down that ma- molecular like, forms like down. Molecular technology embedded somehow in their so, personhood? Question. Yes. They have technology. Uh-huh. They, that means they are advanced. They are intelligent. Yes. Mm-hmm. They are naked from all... They have a lot of fur, but they're naked. Right. Okay. No, right? actual clothes. Hmm. Outside of, like, the notion of modesty and shame and that kind of thing, like, reasons to wear clothing, yeah. there is the protection from the elements, from the environment. Right. Why don't they wear clothes? Is that fur enough to protect them? I would imagine, like, an advanced civilization teleporting to parts right. unknown would have some sort of protective... But then again, maybe they come here and say, why the heck are we clothed? Because we started off naked as well. And we didn't know we were naked. Frostbite. I was going to say, when you think about like how things were on the earth, Mm -hmm. the continent where we started, things kind of started. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But things broke off and went in different areas land wise. Uh Pangea. Yes. So, we wouldn't have needed clothes to begin with if we're, like, close to the equator. But once, you know, land starts moving in different areas, then <laughs> might start getting well, a little colder than you realized. But there are other reasons for clothes. Other I mean, than that's like true. Style. Hmm. Yes. You had an amazing sweater on when you came in today, Princeton. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I told you to wear it. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Good taste. Yes. Very good taste. I feel very important now. <laughs> <laughs> Does Bigfoot have, sn- have style? Maybe that old thing, maybe the maybe fur is a sweater. It. Maybe it's like a jumpsuit. Maybe it is oh. a jumpsuit. Oh. Maybe, maybe it's, it's like, a jumpsuit. Yeah. Maybe it's not his 
like actual flesh and skin and fur. Maybe it's literally a suit. I've never heard anybody. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's, it's like um, type of protective astronaut gear like, for think, this environment. Yeah, right. and we think they're naked. Right. Wind and rain and. Maybe it's kind of camouflage too, because if it's fur and they're in like a wooded area, uh-huh. you might think that they're more of a bear than, you know. Camouflage, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Than a human, yes, or yeah. not human, if but I went through the woods and see a Bigfoot, I'm going to know it's a Bigfoot. I mean, but. I from a know. distance, you, yeah. you might, like, even now, and if, if they, they move exist, really uh-huh. fast. Then, we still haven't proven that they exist, right? right? Mm-hmm. They've right. been able to, it works. Yeah. I'm just saying. If this is an intelligent. Race of creatures right. that are teleporting in. Yeah, and we never working. see them in yeah. the hood. We still have yet to find something or discover something in the hood, like a a, f- a, a, a <laughs> pit bull, seen... a, a snow leopard pit bull. Or why would they be? Snow I don't know. Leopards? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a question. I don't know. This podcast. Yes. What What is this podcast? This podcast. <laughs> When we're talking about Bigfoot. <laughs> I don't know. To be fair. What is this podcast? We just wanted to start it out with something a little, a little silly. A little just to get you loose. Just <laughs> to, get us to get your mind rolling. And honestly, people like yes. really responded to the, to the Bigfoot thing. So I was like, what if we just threw it out there and see what happened? So... Yeah, I wonder if this will turn into like an all Bigfoot podcast. Oh, nice. oh, you said that before we left. I know, but I was more like thinking. I'm getting a I'm getting a Bigfoot I'm getting a Bigfoot uh, probably jacket or shirt. I wouldn't mind a t-shirt. Though. Definitely getting some Bigfoot. I'm not shoes gonna lie. And a mug. The Bigfoot podcast, ladies and gentlemen. See, I don't want it to turn into the Bigfoot podcast. It's though, the Bigfoot because podcast. Then it would be about Bigfoot. And it wouldn't be about... No, it, that's when it would stop being a bit about Bigfoot. And then it'll be about what we really want it to be about. Be and then people will ask us, like, why is, why it, is it called Bigfoot? And then that's when I'm like, listen to episode one. <laughs> 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 Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Red Door Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your benevolent host, neighbor, and friend, P the Voice. Alongside of me, I have Robin G, aka R A G, or Rag, if you feel so inclined. And today we have a very, very special guest, a legend from Houston, Texas, a master draftsman, ladies and gentlemen, the Robert. Pruitt. Is that legend as in, like, I might not exist like Bigfoot? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Like, I might be no. imaginary? Legend, like, still living, still killing the game. Living legend? Living legend. Ooh, I like that. Just saying, because you're that's, right that's here. A lot if you're not right here, then there's something that's happening right a, now. A living legend is hard to live up to? Do you want to be considered a living legend? Hmm. It depends. It's a lot of pressure. Why is it a lot of pressure? I think you asked the wrong person that question. Yeah. It's not <laughs> pressure if 
the people call you that and you're just living your everyday life. The pressure is when you call yourself that and then you got to keep up with what you're calling yourself. But I think the question is, people calling you that, do you like it and allow it? Right? Or do you push back on it? Because if you allow it and you like it, then you are whatever that definition is and it's coming externally. Mm-hmm. Can you measure up to that? A legend, ladies and gentlemen. See? <laughs> See? See what I'm talking about? What? <laughs> that was deep. I'm I like, was just huh. thinking at that point you You're might right. have to take it and metabolize it and understand what does that mean for you. And then do you want to do you want it to be somebody else's standard or do you want to define it for yourself? At that point, I think that absolutely I get to define it. Then you are in a wrestling match with your public. Well, I'm in a wrestling match with myself, so (laughs) what's the difference? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes, I'm Robert Pruitt. I don't have an AKA. I'm just Okay. Wow. Straight out of legend. Not a legend? Not a legend. Regular (sighs) person. Okay. You'd be a legend in my head, right? (laughs) Oh (laughs) Oh Oh, man. Disappointment when you find out I'm not a legend. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm gonna start at a lower tier. Weren't you the one that say never meet your heroes? I I believe that. Yeah, I met a hero before and I was just like Oh, man. I shouldn't have met you, bro. I shouldn't have met you. Oh, But yeah. Yeah, that was accurate. Yeah. First question. (laughs) Oh, my word. So. So. (laughs) Uh, Talk to us about your latest comic book characters. From heroes to superheroes. Um... Well, you know, as y'all approached me about doing this, and I saw, like, you wanted to talk about comic books, the big secret is, like, I love comics. I'm mm-hmm. trying to make comics. I have not made any comics. I've made zines. You mm-hmm. know what? I should have pulled some of those out for y'all to look at. It's not too late. Um, <laughs> well, then you can hear the chair rolling around and me shuffling. Oh, we can always Do you know it? what we hear when when we're recording? <laughs> we get fire engines. Fire alarms. Children. People coming in and out, out of doors. In and out of doors. Ovens. Dogs That's New York. We hear the train too. Yes. Yeah. And feel it. I'll, I'll say this, and maybe mm-hmm. in a minute I'll go see if I can. I found some of them yesterday, but I don't know exactly where they are. I don't know if I have characters per se. I think I have a, a subject and a topic. I'm thinking about a type of relationship between black people and the universe. The sort of creative energies that you kind of see in comics and that kind of thing, like who made us, how we make our black people are always continually like remaking themselves, <clears throat> and the the sort of excitement and fun of playing with the idea of creating and recreating and this thing about the cosmos. These are the like the the things that just kind of keep coming up in the stuff that I try to make are people traveling through space, people looking for cosmic creators, people, you know. And um, th- I don't know, it's just a subject matter that reoccurs in the things that I try to make. But I've not made a bunch of stuff that's accessible for people to see. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this thing that I've been trying to get to. Mm-hmm. But um, you're both artists. 
it's hard to sort of partition your practice for these two very different types of creative acts. Like sure. there's scale, there's yeah, all these different things. And so my my comic book output is slim in comparison. And and technically not as advanced as I would like it. But your question is like character it's it's people who are discovering the sort of root creative space of the universe and trying to like investigate it. This, I don't know if that No, I makes also sense, but... like to me I, I understand like because with even with comic book characters they're on a journey. And so yeah. it feels like you're thinking about the journey more so than just like of oh, this character and that character and this story. It's right. more like a universe really. And my next question, well, it's not really, it's just, it just popped in my head. Is there ever any overlap from this world that you're creating in your comic books that go into some of your portraiture? I think that the comic books, the zines and, and this sort of me attempting to like move into this other space is trying to drag the studio practice into another genre. Mm-hmm. Um like I make these drawings, they sort of have no background, they're portraits, and they're about, in many ways, the same subject matter as the comic. All the things that I really want to make are not exactly legible, I think, in the traditional work that I make. I try to I try to put it in, like these people are covered in like different kinds of adornment, there are references to history and technology and science, and so all of that stuff is in there, but it doesn't necessarily operate in like this kind of narrative way. And I think I'm looking to like expand into that. I think there's something really magical about image and text at the same time that helps helps you kind of retain information better than than either one alone, I think. And so I think the notion of and I say comics because that's like my origin. I you know wanted to talk about that a little bit growing up reading comics. But there's something about image and text even outside of comics and other kinds of formats that I think it does something to the brain that makes the audience kind of connect to the information retain it and in a way that other I think genres don't do mm-hmm. and as a creator mm-hmm. you have so much more power and control right like you can do so much more with a comic than if you were like a filmmaker if you were mm. whatever making music whatever it's just you and paper yeah. and very similar to like a studio practice, but like the narrative part of it, I think just does something else. Like it opens the world up to it, you know? Right. Wow, that's very... And I see one of the comics, I'm going to grab it. Okay. So that's very different because I realized at an early age that I really didn't talk a lot to people. Uh, and I had a hard time communicating with people and writing. And I found out that art and drawing images was my language. Mm-hmm on my voice to talk to people. And some of it is based on like my experiences growing up, individuals that I knew and things of that such, stories that I knew. Yeah, and whenever somebody wanted me to explain it, that that's when I would get deep mm-hmm. about it. And, and then I would talk more because it's like I'm reading what I wrote, what mm-hmm. I drew, because it's my language. Mm-hmm. Then I, my voices start changing and then I start talking quicker and then I'm, more words coming out because now I'm in, I'm telling you who I am through what I 
quote unquote wrote or drew right. through the image. You're excited. Yeah. You're allowing like like you said, who you are, mm-hmm. who you are to come through the work. Yeah. I think it's also interesting because I know I can talk from where I am now in my practice. Mm-hmm. Cause I've been incorporating text in into my my drawings. And for me it does help me communicate in ways that maybe I was too afraid to say it, you know, outright say something, or or whereas writing it out is a form of getting it out of my system, but at the same time, I'm able to share it. And if somebody can read it or they can't read it, it's still a part of the work, and it's still very much a part of the DNA of the drawing itself. Right. And I think that thinking about text in those terms, because I used to be so intimidated. It's like I wanted to, but I was like, do I dare? Because I felt like, you know, you have to you have to do it right if you're going to do it. Yeah. And is it is it your text? Like, are you yeah. writing the text or yes. borrowing text? No, I'm, it's mine. So it's Which both, there. I think, are completely valid. I yeah. Think, no, I'm just saying from where I'm coming from, I'm either free... My brain is just dumping information <laughs> or it's coming out as poetry. One of the two mm. things is happening. And when it's on canvas, usually it's just me dumping out a bunch of stuff that's happening. But sometimes in the middle of the night or something, I can't sleep. And the reason why is because I'm backed up with a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of words that mm. I need to get out. And it comes out in the form of poetry. What do you do? Do you get up and write these things down? I, I type over my phone because my phone is right there. Yeah. You know, kind of frantically. Do you just... recognize it the next day? Like... Yes. Okay. Because it's not like a dream state. It's an anxiety state yeah. where it's like, I can't sleep. What's going on? And then next thing you know, I've dived down into all of these deep emotions. And it's like, I'm not going to sleep until I get these out. Right. And... That's why, like, when I write, it does happen in, like, spurts because of the fact that, I don't know, maybe it just, I need to just get all of this build up before it actually just comes out. So maybe it is, like, a pregnancy sort of birth kind of cycle that happens when I write, and I'm not really realizing that until I'm talking about it just now. Right. Do, do you write during your studio time? Let me ask both of you. I know it's your podcast. I'm not no. going Please, this Start is also a conversation. But, mm-hmm. so. Is your studio practice open enough for you to have time that to the outside world may look like you're doing nothing? Mm-hmm. Where you're just sitting, thinking, writing, bringing things in, reading, watching, listening? Yeah. Like, do you get to write during your studio time? I definitely do. Yeah. And I remember I reached out to you because I was feeling like I haven't been doing nothing. I had this like block, but even you, you told me, you gave me some good sound advice and it made me realize I had been doing that all along. Cause yes, my studio practice sometimes is just sitting down and meditating or reading something or thinking of writing even my own ideas on my phone. Because if you really, when I, when it comes to it, my drawings come from memories, uh, come from conversations that I had this month, last month, this week. It comes from ideas that I had, something that I watched on TV. I was like, oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. sometimes my studio practice or studio time is is just sitting down, 
looking, resting, meditating, and writing all the time. And I definitely don't feel guilty about that. I'd say there was a point where, or there's still a point where I'm defining even what my studio time is. Because when I'm in the physical space of my studio, I'm there and I'm usually creating something. And if I'm not creating something, I'm feeling like, what am I doing? When I'm writing, it's usually I'm at home. When I'm meditating, I'm at home. When I'm having those crazy moments, it's I'm literally in bed trying to sleep. (laughs) And then, but when I like sit down and I'm focused on writing, I'm usually at home or in my in my bed, more like on top of my bed because I don't have like a like a desk or anything. That's that's my office. It's my it's my everything. It's my bed. You know, so I don't. I don't write a whole lot when I'm in my physical space of a studio. Usually what's happening in there is the manifestation of everything that I've been churning and chewing and figuring out. Yeah. But I think also the reason for that is the way that my studio practice is set up right now doesn't really allow for me to, you know, I, I can't you know bring in a couch and mm-hmm. sit and be comfortable or nap. Is it space? Yes. So I have a, me and two of my friends share a space at the Brooklyn Army Terminal, the Shishama. Okay. And so they have certain rules. So we can't, we can't nap. You can't really eat in the studio because oh, they don't yeah. want like yeah. the bugs and things. But it's about. So what artists can and can't do yeah, in it, space. There are certain things about it that I'm very grateful for. Like we can afford the space and it's pretty it's a pretty nice size for the three of us. But there are a lot of things that I cannot do. Yeah. And because of the fact that I'm limited, it's like my studio practice is broken, if that makes sense. So can I we can, say partition? Yeah. Yeah. Fragmented. Fragmented. Yeah. It's not broken. I've been using the term broken a lot for other reasons, and I think that's why the actual word is in my head. But um, but I think that's what it is. It's more like I do these things here and I do these things there because I'm also working at Brooklyn Clay right now. At Brooklyn what? Brooklyn Clay. um, Making, what's the word? Pottery and ceramics. That's the word. Thank you. So I've... So I'm kind of having two places where I actually make work, but home, I think, is what bridges all of that together because I can lay down. I can slow down. I can think. Sometimes I don't even leave my house. And when you think about it in those terms, then yes, absolutely, that's part of my studio practice because there are times where it's like I cannot leave my house right now because... Sometimes, yes, it's because I have to clean, but sometimes it's literally because I need to sit and write something or I need to sit and think in a way that I can't think in my space, like in the actual physical studio space. So uh, it took me a while to get to the question of the the answer of yes, I do. (laughs) I think I was trying to, I think maybe even my question was like a leading question to get to to that idea that make sure you're allowing yourself time and space within your practice that's not just about generating work it's also about 
contemplation. Yeah, contemplation and generating energy and time and ideas for yourself. I was thinking about in the space, but you're right. Not that's not always available. Yeah. But however you manage it, which I it sounds like you were managing. It. it took a while for me to get there too, because I'll say like even during the pandemic, my whole idea of what it meant to be an artist was production. Because before that, I was making work and I was, you know, doing the thing. I was in this residency and I was getting it. And then the residency was cut short. Next thing you know, I'm on the couch for days not doing anything. And I felt like, who am I and what am I and what's the point? And then, so even understanding that that was part of my practice because it led me to a lot of things that I'm thinking about right now. It's like, oh, shoot. I do need to slow down. I do need to incorporate this kind of, you know, self-care, if you will, into into my actual, my conscious thinking. And stop thinking about it as I'm being lazy because I wasn't being lazy. And actually, I probably needed the rest because I was going and going for like eight months straight. As, As artists, I think the thing that we make has been really compromised, I think through capitalism, through all these sorts of things. I, if we can take anything positive from the pandemic, I think it was this disruption that forced us to kind of stop and sit and do something else. Yeah. My wife is an artist. You, you met her. Yes. Yeah. You haven't met her, Robin. But, um, and she's, in a, she's doing a residency in Rome right now. And she's studying this thing. I don't know the Italian phrase. So when I say it, I know I'm not saying it right. It's something like, Lafarnia Dolce or something, but it I think it translates into the sweetness of doing nothing. Uh-huh. They have this like notion that there is something special about giving yourself time to do nothing. And I think her, I, mean, I can't really say because I don't I'm not, even when she talks about it, I, I know I'm not quite getting it. I think she's researching exactly what doing nothing can be and how it can be regenerative in a way. I think. This idea of production, constantly making, doing, producing, I think is just an outgrowth of the nine to five, capitalism, the market, got to do this, got to do that. Just to feel like you are asleep when I'm dead, and mm-hmm. this grind. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by, by taking it easy. Yeah, You're making a thing that comes out of the ether, that comes out of this other kind of space, and you can't grind that out. You yeah. gotta like sit and let it wash over you. So, yeah, yes, I feel like you're doing the right thing. Give yeah. yourself time to give myself. I think that's what I gotta do. Remember in grad school, you will always see me. Yes, in I the will studio. be in the studio twenty foot when it opens till it closes. And now sometimes day. you're in those spurts, and when yeah. you're in them, try to try juice to, out as much as you can. But, but just I, don't think that that's. Yeah, but Absolutely. it was it was deadly when I was doing it. <laughs> I would like, and you'd be like, "I'm going to go to sleep," and and you was like, "Do you know what that is?" Yeah, and you would always talk to me about sleep, and I would always, "You sleep when you're dead, all right? All right, I gotta get it right now. I don't know where I'm gonna be at tomorrow. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in, I'm in New York now. I'm because like, I remember just thinking yeah, like, oh, I was crazy. Uh, plus, I lived, I lived in Jamaica yeah. Queens at the time, yeah. two hours away from two school. Hours, yeah. I'm getting out of here. At, in the beginning, I lived in, in, in the Bronx, and I didn't like going home where oh. I lived at. And <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm definitely about to stay here. Let me crank something out, crank something out. 
But now <laughs> looking back at it, I was like, silly. I was crazy. Even then, it was after that, after I moved to uh, Brooklyn, it was just like a routine after that. I was just like, it, at times, I, now I see it wasn't healthy. Because <laughs> it was just like, hmm. And even when I didn't have an idea, I would still be like, be there. I would still be there trying to draw something or making something up in my head. And then like, let me see what this look like. And then I, instead of drawing it big, small, I just draw it big, just to give myself something to do. Yeah, no sleep. Yeah, I'm glad I sleep now a little bit. <laughs> rest. Yeah, the pandemic definitely taught me about rest, though. I always knew sure. how to sleep. Like that was never the problem for me. Yeah. It was the <laughs> it was the actual resting and not feeling guilty about yeah. not working. Yeah. Or I won't even say not working. I'll say not producing because. Like you said, like it's still all of these things go into the practice. It's just allowing ourselves to see it as that. Yeah, Facts. I so, think a lot of people discovered that during the pandemic. Those who weren't like suffering under like learn, learn about the context what? about giving yourself time and rest. Like people were, oh, yeah. were in these situations where they had to kind of mm-hmm. do nothing. I think mm-hmm. learned that like, oh, I can not go to work five days a week and. I won't lose my mind. Like right. I can discover other things, and mm-hmm. like life can be about something else, not just this like production. Right. Right. And like not only that, but I survived that period of time in my life where I I didn't I didn't I honestly was in like a depression state and didn't realize I was in this like deep depression state. Mm. Oh shoot! I came out of that with an understanding of you know, what I wanted and like, I was still productive in that time, just in a different way. But, and I had to like step back from it to see what that pro- productivity was. Mm. That makes right. sense. R- random, but I just now caught on to what you said about y'all count backwards. <laughs> I just realized <laughs> in my head, I was just like, what did he mean by that? I was still on that. And then I was just like, oh, counting for like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That's a that was random pre pre yeah pre before the come before we click record y'all so just know that was on my mind about this comic talk to us about the comic this is beautiful like where can I we can't find this like where can we get this like come yeah, on as the maker of this comic I don't even know how many there are I don't know where they are or somewhere maybe here or in the closet at my house I'm not sure this is what I'm the saying the world has to I make zines and then I stick them in my closet. Do you ever, like, hand them out? Like I give them to people. Like, if I had a stack here, I would give you one. Right. I give them to people. I did a um, a festival in Philly two or three years ago where uh-huh. I sold some. You should definitely um, sell those. For me, it's just the, the excitement of, like, participating in this world of bookmaking, like zine making, <clears throat> uh, which is not a world that I'm connected to or familiar uh-huh. with. But, like... It's still fun. But there's I something, that's the one, best. about, like... Make some images, print them out, staple them together, yeah. and you got a book, right? There's just something really simple, tactile, and for me, almost radical. I don't need a publisher. Mm-hmm. I don't need a gallery. Mm-hmm. I don't need, like, the production of art in a way that feels like it's just me right. and whoever's taking this right. thing. Um, so this thing is called The Wilderness. It's a, <clears throat> what, like an eight-page zine, and... A bunch of images of outer space. It's images I've taken from NASA, 
from these sort of uh, satellite images, uh-huh. overlaid them with like watercolors that I'd done, and yeah. then there's a character floating through these various pages of, of space, and then there's a text that's I suppose you could say it's poetry, but it's it's sort of a it stream good. of consciousness text that I think is the subconscious of this character. Uh-huh. So a lot of a lot of my work like is rooted in strangely enough like the Silver Surfer. Right? Do you know Silver Surfer? You guys know this character? Yeah, she definitely does. You're a comic person? I am. I'm sorry, I got so excited. No. Like, <laughs> so, I'm not like, I don't know everybody in the Marvel Universe, but I'm very much excited about the Marvel Universe. Okay. So, I do know the Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer. Um, I don't know all of his story, but I am familiar with the character. Okay. So, I'll, I'll try to book in so y'all can edit this out. But I'm just going to tell you the story of Silver Surfer. Gotcha. Here for it. Um, you know, for me, it's like a really interesting character. And I think I respond to, he, he, I feel like his 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 general story, I think, is can be an analog for, like, the black experience, right? So you have Silver Surfer. His name is Norrin Rad. His sort of birth name is from the planet Zinla. That planet was super advanced. Advanced to the point where no war, no nothing. In fact, they were considered like some of the wisest people in the universe. And through their civilization, civilization, they had gone out and explored the universe to the point where they got they were bored with that, and they just returned home and kind of dedicated their lives to study and art and beauty at home. Other races from other planets would come to them for knowledge and information. There's a character in the Marvel Universe called Galactus yes. who consumes the life energies of planets. Yes. He's considered a sort of natural force in the universe, much like we would think about hurricanes, storms. They come and they destroy. Uh-huh. He just happens to be this force in the universe that comes and destroys planets and you can't really stop him. He's so powerful. He's born at the moment of creation of our universe Mm -hmm. like he was born with the universe he's as old as our universe right so he comes he's going to consume this planet norton rad has always been bored with his people this is great we're perfect we have this beautiful life i want to get out here and like run these streets i want to see the world i want to see the universe and he feels like his people have kind of um i don't know if he would use the word entropy but like He's restless. I, I would say that. That's a, that's a good term. So here, here comes Galactus. I'm going to consume your planet. And I'll try to make this really short. All kinds of stuff happens. But he negotiates with Galactus. Uh-huh. He says, look, if you, if you spare my planet, then I will go out here and find you other planets to consume. And, you know, that way you don't have to expend energy doing this. I can yeah. do it. And my people live. Now, Galactus... Cosmic knows, he knows that you're not going to be able to find planets that are <laughs> worth his consumption mm-hmm. that don't have life. Mm-hmm. So you're just, you're just pushing this destruction onto another race of people. Galactus doesn't really care about that, but he knows that psychologically, Nornrak couldn't handle that. Right. So he changes him. And so this is a thing that I use a lot. Here's Galactus, cosmic, almost religious force in the universe. He converts... Norrin Rad into the Silver Surfer completely changes his like physical appearance. He gives him this space surfboard and basically wipes his mind. So, and 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 they enter this, this deal 
Silver Surfer is, I don't know how aware he is of the sort of context of what he's doing, but he goes out and for, for years is just finding planets for Galactus to consume. He's consuming life and all this stuff. And he comes to Earth. Uh-huh. And this is where he enters sort of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. He comes to Earth. And he's so powerful. Like, so the thing about the Silver Surfer is that Galactus gives him a portion of his own power. So he he gives him his like cosmic energy. And so in many ways, this reflects the kind of God-Christ kind uh-huh. of image, right? Or, or, or dichotomy, right? Uh-huh. Like in Christian stuff, Christ is God and also human. And I think it's the same thing. He is imbued with the power cosmic he's very powerful he can come to these planets and they can't defeat him like he's so powerful a planet a a planet sized military can't defeat the silver surfer so he comes to earth he he runs into the silver to the fantastic four who are also imbued with cosmic energy through an accident yeah, blah, blah blah from a yeah yes. cosmic rays we won't get into all that yes. but he he meets them he gets something happens to him i can't remember exactly what happens but he gets hurt and Alicia Masters, the thing's girlfriend, the thing is one of the characters mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, sort of nurtures him and through this like connection with humanity and this nurturing, his own humanity is reawakened. Mm-hmm. And he starts to regain his memories and his consciousness. I hope I'm telling the story right. I feel like I'm. It sounds like a great story. Well it's the story of the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surface. So yeah. millions of comics is gonna be Oh, so it Movies is. And like, yeah. This is Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Yeah. Also, origin stories, yes. like creators of this universe. I'll, I will talk endlessly about like. Are they legends? Legends. Wow. Those are legends. And. Wow. I reserve my sort of um, praise for Western creators. Uh-huh. Sparingly do I. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I can dig it. Jack Kirby, Stanley, mm-hmm. yes. And and within, I think, I think within that world of comics, like some of that is like, how much does Stanley get over Jack Kirby? I think there's a little bit of because Jack Kirby is the way they worked. Mm-hmm. Stanley would say, "Jack, I got an idea. I want the Fantastic Four to fight God." Mm-hmm. Right? Jack Kirby starts drawing. Mm-hmm. He comes up with these characters. Stan Lee then writes the story. So who's producing this thing? Who's 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 more responsible for the creation of these characters? For me, I think it's both of them like it's it's equal. But I think there's some like Stan Lee because he lived longer. I think gets a lot more praise within the comics world. I think Jack Kirby is beloved, but I think mm. in terms of um, like the larger population, we know Stan Lee. Yeah, I was going to say movies, they know Stan Lee. I was gonna say, like, as far as like whose name is yeah. more household, I'll say. And Stan Lee was like doing interviews, and, right. and like Jack Kirby was like in the house drawing, right. and like you know, yeah. Jack Kirby, there's a anyway. Where was I? Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. Surfer. Um, His own humanities is. Uh, he starts to remember how human he is. Yeah, yeah. and. Oh, we listening. <laughs> <laughs> he, along with the Fantastic Four, engage in this battle with Galactus. Right. And his comics, they defeat him, I think, in like kind of a ridiculous way. <laughs> I already know what you mean. There's another character called the Watcher, who I yeah. think is like an analog for 
the reader of comics. He's the watcher. All he does is watch what happens, mm-hmm. which is what we do as readers, right? right? He is seeing Galactus doing all this stuff. He goes to the Human Torch, another member of the Fantastic Four, sends him deep into the like bowels of his home on the moon. No, was it on the moon or was it in Galactus's ship? I can't remember. Anyway, he goes and he gets this device called the um, Ultimate Nullifier. And it's so powerful that it scares even Galactus. What does it do? <laughs> I don't know. It just it, it nullifies. <laughs> and so Reed Richards like, Galactus, we got the nullifier. You know, fuck out here. And don't so, know me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but through that, and I, you know, I'm trying to retell this story. It's from the 60s. They defeat Galactus. Silver Surfer is released from his servitude, mm-hmm. but he's trapped on Earth. Mm-hmm. Galactus creates a barrier, doesn't let him out of that barrier. And so in, in, the, in the story, that's how he's sort of involved in Earth and mm-hmm. the universe. Eventually, he breaks that barrier and he tries to get back to Zen Law. But from that point, that's his origin, right? Where mm-hmm. he comes from. And from that point on, he has this like, even, even while he's on Earth, he has this extreme loneliness and mm-hmm. longing for his home. Because now his humanity is back. He remembers where he's from. He remembers his people. Even though he was restless to leave, he's now, he's got everything he'd ever wanted. This like adventure and space and power. But I want to go home. I miss my woman. And so he's constantly monologuing to himself. He doesn't really connect with humans because he's so powerful. He doesn't understand humanity and Especially if you're from a race of people who don't have most of the problems and things that we inflict on ourselves. Sometimes he comes there, like he spends his time just like floating up. What do you call part of the atmosphere that's like above Above the sky and like, yeah, like, but not quite. He doesn't break Mm. the barrier of Earth, but he's floating near space, right? When he goes back home, does he stay silver? Yeah, he's silver all the time. He's always silver. Does he hate that? No, he doesn't. He, his, he's, it, it's not even like, it's not a um, condition. It, is, it has made him even more amazing. He doesn't hate it. Wow, that's interesting. And, but I think, I think the thing that I'm interested in is this person who is traveling through space and missing something. Okay. And that, that's the thing I remember mostly about the comic, him sort of monologuing in this like almost like Shakespearean kind of language about Oh, I miss Zen La. I, I, I forget his girlfriend's oh, name. Zen La. Uh, Shalabah. I miss Shalabah. I miss like, Shalabah. And, and, he, and, he, and he encounters people, and sometimes they're like, Oh, you're the dude that like destroyed my planet. Uh, we just throw hands and like. Oh, let's. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, here we go again. You know, he's go. out there. Gotta get on my surfboard, dude. And so there's just this like internal sadness in him. And so I. All that to say, I think the wilderness is just like a, a and it's a very beautiful. Does she, <laughs> she have a name? No. In a world <laughs> where the character has no but name, I, I but it's very beautiful. For me, this person is, and through the text, mm-hmm. is monologuing about the sort of post middle patch middle passage consciousness of black people. Mm-hmm. Particularly like African Americans, right? And what we what we what we believe like our DNA re- may remember about 
another time, another place, another sense of humanity, another sense of having a relationship to civilization, mm-hmm. to like history and time. Oh, we were part of the thing and, and having to fight for that relationship as African-Americans. But there was a time where it was like everybody else in the world, we were considered part of the world. Part right? of the- and so I think this is a monologue of her sort of sorting that out in her mind. If you create these again, you should definitely upload them and sell them. Well, and I would be the first one <laughs> I was gonna to say, cop that thing. The beauty about a zine for me is the analogness of it. The fact that you can put this thing together with your hands. I still got your zine, by the way. I would. You better. Hit yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a couple. I made one for... MFA thesis, and then I made another one the year after that. And I think what I liked so much about that process was cutting things and putting them together and figuring out how I wanted thing to look and how I wanted everything to flow and the drawings that I would use, the words that I would use, do these words look right on this drawing? You know, all of these like really small decisions, but to me, they made all the difference. And it's like you said, you have this autonomy. You get to orchestrate yeah. everything, and yeah. nobody else's input but yours. And right. it's an art piece in and of itself, but it's also, like you said, radical. And I love that because that's what zine culture is. I, I would say you, you say like upload it, sell it, which is the point, right? Yeah, it's kind of like I keep saying like that's what I'm gonna do. There's something that's stopping me because I made it. I printed them. I have a website. Uh-huh. I don't share it. Wow. And I think it is about losing that that sort of... Um, it pushes it, it... It takes this thing that I'm making and it pushes it back, it pushes it back into my larger practice. Mm-hmm. It makes it public. It makes it... Which, which makes it part of this like relationship to audience, to the, the market, yeah. to capitalism, yes. which makes it it makes you sort of consider other things than that moment of like, oh, what am I doing? Let yeah. me like, like, oh, yeah. I want that like feeling of, of, of being 12 and like drawing. Oh, okay. and I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Interesting. You I don't just... think I have to lose that. Yeah. I think I have not figured out, or maybe I haven't given myself permission to do this mm. and sell it without giving up that energy. Right. Um, but, and there's also like a thing about time and, mm-hmm. you know, a whole host of things, but. Yeah, you just give them to me. Um, <laughs> he meant wow. us. Yeah, us. us. Um, <laughs> but you hear that? I think it's time. Is it? For the trivia question. Trivia, trivia question. question? The trivia question. Yes. Is this about Bigfoot? It's no. definitely not about, no. <laughs> about Bigfoot. It's Sorry. To bust everybody's bubble. This one, the subject, the category is Afro-American art history. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> is Black History Month. <laughs> oh, it's February. Yeah. So, uh, so y- y'all can't get this one wrong. Am I am I supposed to try to answer this? Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. All right. All right. Fine, being wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty fine. sure. I'm pretty sure you won't get it wrong. You know everything. You're a legend. (laughs) You see what I mean? You'd be amazed at what I don't know. You would be amazed at how much I do not know. But 
But the fact that you even say that, do you know how many people just try to act like they know everything? Facts. Facts. It's a trap, though. Because I know I'm never wrong. It's a trap. <laughs> it's not a trap. Okay. Are you ready for the question? I suppose. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> In 1957, which of the following artists... 57? 57. 57. 57. Mm-hmm. Not even the 60s. Not close. Very close. Just just, just close your eyes and just... 1957, black artist. Uh-huh. I haven't even asked the question. Well, I'm trying to like put myself like... <laughs> he, he trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm trying to give like, myself wait, a framework. Can we get to the actual question? Okay, okay. Like, That's what? fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. So, I'm assuming this is like a well-known artist. Somewhat well-known? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were they well-known in 57? Yeah. You can say that. So that... I mean, yeah. Visual artist? Yes. Painting? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. I, he felt like he, I should just start saying the answer choices. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. In 1957, which of the following artists was one of the first African Americans to travel to Africa? Oh, John Biggers. To- <laughs> <laughs> was it John Biggers? Are he going to 40s? A legend. Zero to one. I didn't even finish the question two times. <laughs> Let me still ask, ask the question. <laughs> Let me still give you the answer choice. 57. 57. Hmm. Ask the question. Look, he <laughs> In 1957, which of the following artists was one of the first African Americans to travel to Africa to study African traditions and cultures. A. Augusta Savage. B. John T. Biggers. C. John Coltrane. Or D. Kehinde Wally. So, well, let's see what year this book is. Mm-hmm. That's 66. Yeah, this is Elton Facts. You know Elton Facts? Elton. I mean, it's Biggers, right? Survey said. Where did Elton Facts go? Elton Facts. Elton Facts. I guess in the 60s. Maybe if I see something, but yeah. it sounds familiar. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's a book of um, drawings by Elton Facts from West Africa. Oh. And, um, Can I take a picture of it? Yeah, the book. Yeah, I might want to want. Want That's it. another thing about having the type of studio that I want: having a library. Yeah, because I don't yeah. have the space for that right now. Yeah, that was you know again. Well, we we were talking before we started recording about graduate school experiences and like you know I went to UT in Austin, and Michael Ray Charles was the professor I think I connected with the most, and that was like one of his main points of advice develop a library, a library to kind of, I've kind of done that off and on. This is mostly comics and graphic novels, but there are some, well, yeah, no, it absolutely counts. I mean, that's my practice is kind of rooted in this way of thinking about, those are comics. These are comics from way back then when you had them as a young It's a myth. Most of them are like my comics from when I was a kid. Wow. And in that box. No, that box is empty now, but yeah. That's half of them. I have more in Houston in storage. Uh Uh-huh. 
So I'm doing this thing. I'm actually sad I never really got into comics like that. My point of entry for like the Marvel Universe was visual. So yeah. cartoons, yeah. movies. That's fine. And I still love it. It's like, the same stories. It is, yeah. but it's like the whole reading a book versus seeing the movie thing. Things are going to get altered. Things are going to get not quite cropped out, but it's still the same stories. But it's like, I wish I had more of the history I don't know. I mean, like, I, I hear you. I, I the accuracy to like the stories in the comics. Yeah. I don't think that's important. It's True. a different genre. It's a different format. True. You can't do in in film what you can do in comics. That's very true. And you can't. I'm almost fifty, and I still have these things. I can't. I don't know. These characters—they've been around forever. They're going to be around for a long time. The core thing about those stories are what's interesting. I think I think I'm just trying to make this point of I still have these things and I'm lugging them around and I don't know why. And that's why that's why I have them out in the studio. I'm I'm my assistant and I were gonna build this cabinet and put them on display. I'm trying to figure out Yeah, what would you show those at? What would you do with these? This is the point. Yeah. I'm, okay, so I don't wanna be morbid, but like my father passed away a few years ago and I had to clean out his house, right? I had to clean out his you know. And my father was a person who kept all kinds of little knickknacks. That's me and my family. I have all these goddamn action figures. Like, why? Uh-huh. I don't anyway. Were they yours? Yeah, they're mine. Yeah, my I mean, mother, just, my mother still has toys from when I was a kid. I used to collect Hot Wheels and action figures and stuff like that. Do you still have them? Yes, and she still faithfully curates on the fridge <laughs> drawings that I had when I, I was a kid. And she sorry, takes them out of the little clear oh, great. protective thing and puts them on the... I was Yours like, are what? clear protective? Yeah. That's yeah. really sweet. Yeah. It yeah. is. And every time I go home, it's something new on the fridge. And she keeps all the artwork that I had back in the day on the walls. So see, your so, mother... You said your mother yeah. values these things that you made, right? Uh-huh. So, like, my father had all this stuff that ultimately did not have the value that they that he thought they had, mm-hmm. right? Or at least, like, he had a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that he thought was, like, amazing and valuable and vintage and antique. And, and I had to, like, figure out what to do with it. And it wasn't value. Mm-hmm. And it was... Going through that stuff, and like I felt really guilty about some stuff I had to just get rid of. Mm-hmm. I felt really guilty about that. Yeah. Then I started wondering, like, well, what am I carrying around? Why am I still carrying these comics around? Mm-hmm. And so I think ultimately I'm going to figure out a project to do with them mm-hmm. that I think can, like, equalize the value. The value that I have for them. They're very special to me. I read them. I love them. I and, and sort of force that value into the larger public mm-hmm. by making them part of a project that is then consumed and collected maybe by a museum or some like archive mm-hmm. in a way that makes up for the lack of value. Yeah, because they're not even, I did not take care of them very well, so they're not financially valuable because right. they're not in great condition. Right. But they hold a value in another kind of way. And I think that even the fact that you had these comic books, right? You touched them, you read them, you got comfort from them. Wrote my name on some of them. Right, like (laughs) the use that you got out of it while, no, they're not in mint condition that can be generate financial gain in that way. The fact that they have a history and a story in and of themselves as objects that showed what comic books do for people, yeah, 
in and of itself is something that is valuable because we as humans connect with these comic book worlds for a reason right and for a lot of us it brings it bridges gaps some of us we got out of our shell because we started talking to other people who saw this universe and saw the value of it absolutely and so that in and of itself the fact that these are it's precious that whole experience being able to read it being able to see what's the next thing that came out have these conversations with people read with another person all of that means something so the value may not be in the world of collecting and keeping things in good condition but all of that that goes into why the comic book world is so important mm. as an art form and as a form of you know communicating and connecting with people that's where the value really is and so once you find out how to even push that a little further i think <laughs> you got it I, I i think there's something about moving to new york that mm. really crystallizes a little bit for me because here in new york space right like you know you're talking about having a studio you can have your library I can have these in my studio, right? Mm-hmm. I Only recently do I have a studio with enough space to do that. I don't have enough space at home mm-hmm. for this sort of thing. Coming from Houston, it was never a question. Mm-hmm. I had them, and whenever I moved, I put them in a box and took them to, and just sat them wherever. It wasn't the notion of like space was not an issue. Right. And so now, moving to New York, everything is about space. Yes. Everything. And so... It made me think about you have to make decisions about what you're going to keep, what yes. you're not going to keep, and that's about value. And and these comics, for me, present such of a kind of pregnant thing in my mind because mm. I they're probably the only thing I have that I consider precious that I've had that long that I, you know that I that I have cataloged in my mind right. that there's this personal value. That has no value to anybody else. And I think that's what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, yeah, abstractly you can say, oh, they're comics. People like comics. But uh-huh. I'm saying these are my comics. They're not in right. great condition, but they're very important to me. Right. They're priceless. They're worth maybe a couple hundred dollars in the real, in the world outside of myself. Right. And so I think they become this monster, this Bigfoot mm-hmm. oh. that I have to wrestle with. And Bigfoot. Like, how real is this thing? Mm. Do I need them at this point in my life? Do I still need these? And I'm trying to answer that question. I think you should keep them. I think you still need them. Who? If I went in storage, will you pay the bill for me? Yes, most definitely. You're a legend. <laughs> um, this is me. Who purchased these for you? Uh, how often did you get them? Did you save your money for them? Did your parents get them for you? Very interesting. Yeah, I want to uh, know that. Not interesting, but interesting to me. But. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you it's know. It's interesting, yeah. As a kid... My brother and I, when we lived, well, we lived in Third Ward, and mm-hmm. we would walk to Wheeler and Almeida. Almeida? Elgin. No. It's Almeida. It's probably Almeida. They, they go together. What's Emancipation? Dowling. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, Emancipation Avenue. Okay. It was Dowling back in the day. Dick Dowling's a Confederate soldier. They changed the name to Emancipation Avenue. History. Oh, uh, yeah. It's great. I'm going to be it's still- Dick Dowling Avenue. <laughs> Anyway, there was a pharmacy on Dowling uh-huh. and Wheeler. And my brother and I, we would walk there and buy comics. 
when I was in high school, I was in South Park, I would walk to 7-Eleven, get comics. <laughs> My father sometimes would stop at a um, magazine shop, uh-huh. grab a collection of comics. He had no idea what comics I collected. Yeah, that sounds like a parent. Yeah. <laughs> no clue. And so he would just, and this was always amazing to me. I collected Spider-Man, this Marvel team of Spider-Man, G.I. Joe. My brother connected, collected X-Men. I had the titles because I didn't have a lot of money. Uh-huh. I was very specific about what I bought so that I could keep up with these stories. He would just grab whatever. I didn't read DC. It was just Marvel. So, uh-huh. But sometimes he would bring me, this is Conan. This is some weird DC character. This is like stuff I didn't know about, uh-huh. which is amazing because it was like an opportunity to like see this other part of this world and this universe right. and other artists who were making comics. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got comics. And then when I was in, yeah, by the time I got in high school, I was able to like subscribe. Uh-huh. I don't know where I got money from in high school. I got a job my last two years of high school, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I was buying comics at that point. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That was interesting. Because you mentioned X-Men and like, <laughs> that was my entry point. Yeah. Because they had the um, X-Men cartoon, the animated series. And you know the, they're bringing that back. No. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're bringing back that same cast same art animation style i believe it's going to be new stories from that period mm-hmm. yeah yeah you should have told me that because <laughs> now i'm going to go back and watch yeah. like all the way through just to get ready for how's that song sorry Wow. So, yeah, I was like. Yeah. So, since it's February. It is February. Who would you say? Black History Month. Say it loud. Yeah. You're I'm not even, right? I, I was about to. <laughs> <laughs> That's really I'm like, sorry, nah, extra, Houston in here. I'm, yeah, I'm we, we, hard. we hard. <laughs> Who would you say is your. Your black hero. A black hero? Mm-hmm. Me? People who think they're legends. <laughs> no! <laughs> I tried to tell you. Hey, you said it, I didn't. Wow. My I'm black hero. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Sun Ra. You know Sun Ra? Yeah, wait. Jazz musician? Yeah, okay. I was trying. I'm yeah. not like a jazz person, but Sun Ra just... I'm glad you said jazz because now my my mind went back to it. There's a sci-fi movie from the 70s called Space is the Place. Uh-huh. Experimental electronic jazz sometimes. Anyway, so, but as a as a creative spirit, as a as a person producing work mm-hmm. on their own terms, in like a like very like and I know I keep moving from this mic. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. But he had his own trajectory. Mm-hmm. That he understood and framed for himself, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is the ultimate way to make work. He just did not get off that path. He he stayed focused, despite I think the sort of financial constrictions. He moved around. I'm sure his life was no. I'm sure it wasn't always amazing and beautiful, mm-hmm. but he kept pushing and doing this thing. The world is now discovered. I mean, people I think in that industry knew him. In his time, but I think the larger world is now becoming aware of his work, 
Yeah, that would be my, my son. You hear him talk, and you're like, what is he talking about? But it's amazing. He's he's like a part poet, even just in his delivery and how he spoke. It was almost like riddles. Yeah. I'm going to have to research, because I don't think that... It, it's possible that I know music, and I just don't know... I didn't connect the name, so I need to go... Sun Ra. <laughs> Check out the movie, Space is the Place. It's from the 70s. It's exploitation. There are some, what we would say, problematic things happening in it. It was the 70s. But there's also some amazing things amazing things happening in it. As a, as a document from that period, it's amazing. As a movie coming out of exploitation, if you can say it's out of exploitation, there's some amazing stuff happening in it. Herman's life. Where is he from again? He's from Birmingham. Okay. But he lived in Chicago, lived in New York. I've been listening to some jazz. You, the Jazz Crusaders? Who? Jazz Crusaders. Yeah. Yeah, I've been listening to them lately. It was first, it was John Coltrane. I just love all John Coltrane stuff. And then I've been listening to The Way Back Home by the Crusaders. And I can't stop listening to the live performance that they did here in New York at the Roxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just brought me back to what I've been listening to. So, yeah. <laughs> this is so interesting because, you know, I taught at TSU yes. and mm-hmm. Princeton was a student. You know, I still can't get over <laughs> Yeah. But, and I'm sure people who teach go through this all the time. Watching students mature and develop and become different versions of themselves, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I would have never thought I would be in New York and be like an artist. Artist texted me the other day. Oh yeah, I'm having my solo show. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, okay, you gonna make me sad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what do our people say? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Yes. And I always tell you this, but I remember we were in class one day. You took us to the the computer lab. One of my biggest fears uh-huh. is when. Especially students say, oh, I remember you told me. And I'm yeah. Like, I know. What, what my, nonsense was I, I talking to these kids started off with. What did I make up in that moment to sound like I knew what I was talking about? Right. I didn't. But. But this, this, made, this, was, this was valuable, though. You took us to the computer lab and you was like, okay, look up some grad schools. That's what you did. You said, look up some grad schools. I was like, what? And that was the assignment. I was like, man, I do not want to do this. I don't want to go to grad school. Like, well, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Like, I just want to get I'm out sure of I here. I was like, oh, I got class today. Oh, what I got to do? Right. Let's get their future together. Let's, okay, I can help them do that. And that's what it was. And that, that. I was like, hmm. I will say, though, I I did feel like, especially at TSU, mm-hmm. HBC, with not many resources in that, pro- in right. that program, in right. that department, not many facilities, what you did have was like whatever we could be yeah. and provide. That was very creative. As people. Because I know what we got and I know what we don't. <laughs> what we don't got. Like Now, you got some stuff there a lot of programs don't have, but mm-hmm. yeah. there's a... It's like what you were talking about earlier about the give and take. Yeah, there's a give and take. I feel like even, like I said, coming from PWI, mm-hmm. I had other black professors, but they were in other sections yeah, other of the school, other yeah. departments. And so 
what I got from them, it's almost like translating it into this art language until I, I met Mark Priest, until I met my black professor who he didn't have to translate it because he was right there. But I still had amazing professors. They were just in another department in another place. So if, it's like if you're at a at a at a primarily white institution as a black student and there's black faculty, go get them. Yeah. And they will be receptive. Yeah. Like it's almost as a as a teacher, they will they will they will go to the ends of the earth for you because they know how hard it is. I wish I'd done it more because I Because you don't know it at the time. I did it. But I had like these professors that I looked up to who probably didn't even know my name. But I was in their class, and then, yeah, you're my mentor. You don't know it, but you are. Because Professor Kyla Story, Dr. Kyla Story, (laughs) she is just one of the most amazing people. What did she teach? She she was, like, in the Pan-African Studies Department, and I cannot remember what class I was in. I just remember I was in the class. She was one of the toughest but she was one of the fairest and she was unapologetically herself black queer femme woman who is just a force and i was just like yo how are you guys not see of course people did see it but like there were some people there's like come on for real y'all so and imagine class, you know, <laughs> you're the only person in your department. Right. This person is teaching there. Imagine like what their experiences were getting to that point. Right. That's what makes them receptive. I know what this journey looks like. I know the difficulty. See, that was the difference between because at TSU, it was easy to to do that <clears throat> to go up to a professor. They was all black. But then when I came to New York, I was just like, I was always second guessing it because I was like, hmm, like who's gonna be that person that just. No, stop yeah. talking to me. I'm too cool. All right, like, I, I don't know. I just it's stuff that I made up in my mind. Yeah. But when you say they, yeah, it's a different experience. You know? The levels that they took to get the stages, they the same thing. Sometimes they, they didn't want to really say much either because there are some people who want to keep that information to themselves because they had to like claw their way up and figure mm-hmm. it out. And then there are some people who like low now. It's going to be different for you, but this is what happened for me. Right. And I that's like important. That. I love that. Cause... It's like important to know it's like, it's not going to be the same journey, mm. but I got all of these tools in my toolbox that I'm willing to help you with. Right. There are other people who are just like hoarding their toolbox. It's like, it's not going to help you anyway. You don't need it. Yeah. You but move on like, from those people, but. There's a difference <laughs> in certain spaces oh, yeah. where you are. And it's just like, Okay. Well, I guess I gotta figure this one out. But then you meet those people who are like, "Yeah, you do, but let me help you along the way." Hmm. Interesting. We have uh, one more question for you, okay, Professor. And the question is, uh, if you had You're whispering to each other like, <laughs> I'm, like "I'm trying to make sure. <laughs> the computer." I'm trying to make sure because I want. I want to. I really want to. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like because I really wanted you to ask that question. I know, and you know, I know, you know, I know. We're what tethered. is this question? We're tethered. <laughs> the question is, what would be your superpower? My superpower? Mm-hmm. You would think I would have thought about this before. Yeah, I don't think I have. My superpower. That's hmm. very interesting. Let me think about it. Okay. Superpower. <laughs> 
it's crazy because we had already knew yeah. what we want. Like when we asked the group, we already like knew. I was like, yeah, I want to be an earthbender. Well, <laughs> we were indifferent. Okay, so that's the best bending power. Yeah, I was okay, like, okay. earthbending is the best. Bending yes. Power. Time out. Okay, one, yes, yeah, it's super cool because not only can you bend earth, you can also do metal. That's awesome. But it has the most application. I mean, technically, maybe, but come on. Water, come on. Water. I mean, 70% of our body is. You know, water, right? and technically, you can blend water if you're an earthbender. You can move it just by moving no, the earth. No, but you can right. actually, I mean, it's not, it's frowned upon, but you can actually manipulate a person's body mm-hmm. through bending. But see, that's destructive. It is destructive. We're but positive over here. Yeah. I'm like, wait, be, why do you want to do that? I'm just saying. What was the guy's name? Galactus? Galactus. <laughs> come on, Galactus. Galactica. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's power oh, in both of them. See, look at that. I wouldn't blood say I wouldn't. Talking about blood, blood bending, right? Can you imagine if somebody do. was controlling the blood in your life? I'm blood? saying it's possible. You know, my mind That's went to that. It's possible. It's my mind terrible. went to that. Like, I'm gonna raise your blood pressure. So, but we're also like, okay, in my brain, I kind of like separated it from okay, this is the bending universe, you know, versus like superpowers. Bending to me is like, okay, you can be born with it, and it's, you know, elemental nature, you know, but like superpower, I just feel like it's a little different. Bending. Earthbending. Earthbending? Final answer? Avatar The Last Airbender. The four bending powers are firebending, earthbending, waterbending, and airbending. Now, airbending allows you to fly, right? Mm -hmm. Or float on those little... Yeah, I got yeah, turned. But I mean, you can, but you can also like glide. So he's oh, also he like flying, glider, yeah. and he's like manipulating the air around him, so he's able to fly. Earthbending, no laser beams. the most useful. Earthbending, yeah, because I can do. Okay, so much. let's see what you guys can do without water. Okay, how about that? But you don't make water. <laughs> you no, can just move it. I can move it, but I can also and, like, like Cut people with it. Like, right. you can also take like what's in the atmosphere. Oh, it's moisture. Is that true? Moisture in the air? Yeah. yeah. She, was she able to like take moisture out? Oh, she sure was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cause she almost killed that dude. Now oh, I gotta yeah. watch it again. Oh yeah. And then when they were up like there dark. bending the clouds and stuff, yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, bending yeah. them together. Okay, again, violence, destruction. Destruct- I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> yes, destruction, murder, murder. So is it with rocks? Dr. Perry, are you still on the line? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Officer Perry. <laughs> Officer Perry. Ba Sing Se? Yes. Amazing city? It was amazing. It Built was very Because cool. of Earthbenders? Mm-hmm. But let's not, let's not, let's that. not discount what was happening when Odu in the just northern. Fell and actually, in the southern the um, water tribes. Like, of course, the northern water tribe was very like true. a little bit more. Why were they so much more advanced? I'm assuming it's Wait, who was there advanced? Was the water people. tribe? The water there was a northern water tribe and a southern water tribe. Oh, I gotta go back. Katara's from the southern water tribe. Yeah. They had a more um I don't want to use the word primitive, but like there's a yeah, smaller maybe, amount of people yeah. that lives in like igloos. And she northern was the only bender. Cities um, and like, you know. She was the last of the oh, water. Oh, she sure was the last bender. That's so right. it's not like she could yeah, build up this all by herself. But in the northern water tribe they had canals and all kinds of really cool ways of getting around yeah. and it was, it was like, also cold yeah it was cold. but there's i'm sure beaches mm-hmm. 
Mm. It like, was there were no beaches. Oh, I'm sitting up like, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? I mean, <laughs> in the in the fire tribe, there were, but that's that's a different part of the story. But I'm just saying, there's water <laughs> on beaches, and we could still have a water civilization near a beach. I'm Interesting, I suppose. So lost. I just I feel like I'm being that. attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> Earthbenders beating up a waterbender. I have not answered your question. I don't know how to answer it. I would say the thing that I lament sometimes is that I will never be able to go into deep space. Mm-hmm. I I think there's something about the exploration of far away space outside of our solar system, beyond our galaxy, like that seems super interesting. Even though I'm sure it's just other planets and stars and that kind of thing but there's something about the physical nature of going mm-hmm. to that thing sounds really like interesting to me but that's not a thing that's possible are you a star trek fan yes dude we could where like, you are here. Yeah. are you what no but i always wanted to get into it yo <laughs> that's, i kind of oh. got the because re- i said star trek when you was talking about uh transporting things and i knew yeah. that was like one of their things yeah yeah. Okay, this is my question. We can cut it out. <laughs> but what is your favorite series? Well, the best series is DS9. Yes. It's my favorite. Okay. I've been watching it every night. Go okay. sleep. This is my, you know, what is it Cisco. I'm, I'm still on Even DS9. with his, like, weird delivery is the yeah. best captain. And yeah. Yeah. It, it, it challenges the notion of the Star Trek universe the most. Yeah. And it does so in a way that's really well done. Yeah. It's a mature version. Yes. But it's still got all of the action. And only the action is even better, too. You would think that because, well, actually. If, if you are not a person who likes, like, Star Trek and science fiction, but you uh-huh. you are somehow forced to watch Star Trek, you have to watch DS9. Yeah. Because it's the one that deals with DS9, ideas that are beyond just typical science fiction yeah. and technology. And just, like, floating in the stars or whatever. The, the Star Trek universe, the the... The thing that's important about Star Trek, Star Trek universe to me is that it is an imagined Earth human civilization post-apocalypse, yeah. right? The recovery from the things that we do to each other as humans, war and murder and all these things, mm-hmm. when we've done that to the point where we can't do it anymore. Right. Like it's we've, we've tried to destroy ourselves so much. That even that is no longer possible. Right. And what does the recovery look like? And at that recovery is where possibility happens. And it's science fiction, so part of that part of that is warp drive, interstellar travel, interspace travel, interstellar travel, teleportation. So like you can transport goods from a planet to a ship and that kind of thing. What happens? How do we define our humanity at this point, right? And in the Star Trek universe, from the original series, it's all about diversity. In, I say that in quotations. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that once we sort of bring this thing, these sort of ideas together, there is a grand human future. Right. DS9, Deep Space Nine, challenges that conceit about the grandness of our humanity and the limits of that humanity that we sort of try to share with these other alien races and through the notion of occupation war, racism, all of this stuff. So, like, it takes place 
in a space on a space station that's close to a planet that was occupied by another planet for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And they, through uh, guerrilla warfare, have like gotten those people off their planet and now they're trying to rebuild themselves. And so the Federation, Star Trek, is trying to help them rebuild and it's all the tensions that come along. And they discover a wormhole, a wormhole into which is extremely valuable. Yeah. So like you are a burgeoning planet with very few resources uh-huh. that has this valuable natural resource right. uh-huh. that everybody in the galaxy wants. Right. How do you protect it? And so here comes the, the here comes Starfleet, here comes the Federation. Hey, we'll help you protect it and help you cultivate use of it. And on the other side of that wormhole mm-hmm. is another force yes. that's more powerful than the Federation, yes. the Dominion. And it's it's weird. They talk it's, about, you know, there's treaties, there's <laughs> Reversals and all this stuff that happens, and it's and, really and there's a black father who loves his son so much. It's fought. so beautiful. Yes. So can I start at DS9? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Now, Space Nine. it's you... a sci-fi show from the '90s. Okay. Prepare yourself for some cheesy. It's yes. okay. But at the I'm same ready. time, it's one it's of okay. the best ones. It. it is the best one. Wow. When I when I'm thinking about like effects and whatnot, yeah. Mm, like, I don't know about that. Really. I find the drabness of it bothersome. Like the dark kind of like browns and purples. Everything feels very dark. And I know part of that is that the space station is alien. It's not Federation. It's Kardashian. But even like when the Kardashians had it, it was worse. And that's the name of the alien race that built the station. It's not. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like, (laughs) it didn't even touch my mind. So the C, not a K. I've been spelling it with the K this whole time. No, it's <laughs> and it's Car- not Kardashian, like, right. not Kardashian. I haven't been spelling it like Kardashian. I just been spelling Kardashian with a K, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that is wrong, isn't it? <laughs> it just has some really interesting ideas. I don't know, like the character um, Kira, yeah. Major Kira. Like, I find her storyline. I wouldn't say she's my favorite character, but her storyline is fascinating to me. She was a um, Guerrilla fighter, a, a rebel who was instrumental in getting the Cardassians off of their planet, successful. But now she's in this position. She's second in command on the space station. Basically, she has to now, her skill set is fighting and, and tactics. And what happens when it's about negotiation right, and compromise? And so she's like, what? I fight. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and she has to learn to cultivate these other skills. And, uh-huh. and then, as she does that, some of her old people are like, "You'll sell out now." And she's like, "Oh, oh shit!" You know. Snap. And yeah. there's a religion. Star Trek is notoriously non-religious, uh-huh. but they're dealing with the people who are very religious. And, the fact and in that fact, oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that Cisco is. A he part becomes a religious figure, right? You know, in this storyline. Uh-huh. And, and he's the captain of the space station. And so then that becomes, they see him as a religious figure, which is very like Also, do they colonial. start converting? There's something problematic something about that. About but that. you put a black figure in it, there's something interesting about it. Oh, okay. And the fact that he's not trying to use that to manipulate, like, because he doesn't want to be seen as this. Figure. In the beginning, he, he eventually. He embraces he, it. Yeah. But it's not still like a. It's still not something he technically chooses. No, he doesn't choose it. They. It's, yeah. it's not like he's going into this place and they're seeing him as a religious figure and he's yeah and using that as a as yeah. a way to like bludgeon people he's, yeah he, he he reluctantly accepts it because if he doesn't other things kind of happen yeah mm. and yeah he was, he's, he's known as the emissary of the prophets the wormhole they discover 
there are aliens living within the wormhole. So okay. like the transition space between this galaxy, this part of the galaxy and the other galaxy. And these aliens are very powerful. They live across time. So time, their time, their sense of time is nonlinear. Mm-hmm. So they have a relationship to the planet of Bajor. So the Bajorans see them as religious spirits. Mm-hmm. And these aliens talk to Cisco and give him information. So he is a, a transistor for like the will of the prophets to the Bajoran people. Right. And so he's, yeah. Wow. Now, if you want to have a science fiction podcast and we just talk about Yo. Star Trek. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's our thing. Yo. That, y'all got to let me catch up. Then, At least man. a couple of episodes, I would not mind going in. Like, I also have friends who would be like, Yes, let's listen. One of my pet peeves is podcasts about sci-fi shows mm-hmm. where they don't like the show. Why are you doing a podcast? That's a good uh, question. It gets on my nerves. Like I feel like people like listen to be critical to for yeah. no reason. And they And I'm fine with criticism. It's it's, it's plenty no, to be critical about, but still there's a there's a difference between wanting to sound above something yeah. and wanting to cast judgment. Yeah, a lot of podcasters think they gotta critique or judge stuff yeah. nowadays or and it's not review even something it's <laughs> they just done in a stuff. way yeah stop reviewing stuff i it's, was listening to a podcast about discovery the, the you know the most recent and these people just did not like the show i'm like they're on the third season and you're still doing the podcast why are you why are you what? why are you watching this if you don't like it people will be and i had i mean i stopped listening because it was like whatever yeah because yeah. that's another reason why would i want to waste time on something that i'm not enjoying there can be problematic things about the stuff that I enjoy, and yeah. I can critique that. But at the same time, let's also talk about the reason why this episode yeah. was fired. Thank you. Do you watch Discovery and all those new ones? I'm still working through Deep Space Nine. I mm. actually started watching Star Trek through Voyager when I was a kid. And I had all of these nostalgia points to it because uh, Seven of Nine was like my favorite character. It's just the idea of somebody being redeemed from this... You know, <laughs> she was taken as a child. She was, you know, put in this, like, the Borg. And the fact that she got out of it and, yeah. what like, regained her humanity, I just thought that that was an amazing, like, storyline. So that's what got me into Star Trek. And then my friend Dante, he's like, oh, well, mm. you kind of got to start from the beginning. <laughs> and oh, so I did. Snap. And I started watching, like, I started from the very beginning with um, Bill Shatner and everybody and then started, like, going through. And now I'm like, this is the first time I'm watching Deep Space Nine. Mm. And oh, I'm so you on, haven't like, finished it? No. Oh, I'm probably giving you spoilers. No. no. Yeah, like, you were, you were right in the right <laughs> space okay. where I was. And even if you, like, spoiled it a little bit, I'm that type of person who I'm not really spoiled until I watch the thing for myself. Right. Because I, well, if I don't me, know though? how it happened... Yeah. Then it doesn't. It doesn't. Y'all spoiled it for me though. No, no I mean, no. Okay. No. You haven't heard anything that. You, okay. And crazy. you don't know the. You don't know the. I'm excited though. Well enough for you to have it to remember. Spoiled. And also, my memory is shot. That's another thing. Yeah. Poor thing. It's anyway. okay. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation was just like. <laughs> I really would like to. I could talk for even longer about. Um, everything really that we've already touched on but uh, we do have to kind of wrap it up <laughs> well there you have it folks this is your friend host um, P the voice P the voice that's yeah right. that's me and 
P the Voice. Mm-hmm. That's your podcast name. Yeah. Yes, Professor Pruitt. <laughs> He's about to look at how you looking at I me. Love it. Voice. We are keeping that. That's as how. Well. That's the name. You say in that voice. P the voice. P the voice, ladies and gentlemen. Watch how it sounds when you hear it back. It's gonna be like, wow, that printer. Yeah, it's gonna be smooth. Yeah. Um, I should have asked you more questions about how you dealt with this kid. I know. <laughs> I was, was, like, I quiet? was I? I was. Was I stressful? I was real cool. I was just like, it was like a, yeah, did the work. And maybe because I just love drawing. I was like, okay, in and out. And then I had other stuff to do too. Yeah. I was regular. That's why it's shocking that I'm here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember any problems. Yeah. It was like, hmm, I'll never see this kid again. No, it wasn't that. Oh. You're one of the people I remember. They're like, Mm. There, like, there are a bunch of students that, if you say their names, I may not remember them. Oh, but I definitely you know there's groups, there's like a body of students that I definitely like remember. Okay, as like, oh, those are the TSU students that, from when I was teaching. Like, wow, know. and I stuck in there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, That's great. I am not. Like, I don't know if he's. I am out not a legend. Repeating, I am not. <laughs> All right. And we have. Do you have a, a podcast name? Robin G. Robin G. AKA R A G or Rag, if you feel so inclined. If you feel so inclined. <laughs> and this is our, our our guest. We like to think our guest, Robert Pruitt, the Robert Pruitt. Uh, the, I don't have a name. I don't do have you have a name? No. Not you can make one up legend. in five seconds. No, that's okay. Okay. Okay, and wow. would you like to share your handle? <laughs> would that be like Twitter or something? Like Instagram? Mm-hmm. I think it's, oh, the Robert Pruitt. Well, there you go. There's another Rob Pruitt. Oh, yeah, we know that guy, but yeah. So I, what did I call mine? Like, I think, no, it's your whole name, right? Yeah. Robert Pruitt. Something at, like that. Anyway, Robert Pruitt. I'm easy to find. Yeah, very easy. Um, we'd like to thank you once again. This was fun. Yes. Yeah, I thoroughly fun. enjoyed it. I had a good time. I enjoyed it too. And thank you for listening, everybody, on the Red Door Podcast. <laughs>